Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Lance Meadow, John Schmoke, is all presented by Coors Light. Thank you for being with us. That's the phone number, one hour, Giants Talk with you and your tweets at hashtag Giants Chat. I know we had a couple tweets come in late yesterday on the show. I'll make sure I get to those today. And whatever else you guys want to give us on the phones at 201-939-4513. Yesterday was a Giants off day for practice, so we don't have any new news in terms of what's going on in the practice field. Thankfully, that means no injuries either, which is a good thing. If you want to go check out my practice report from Sunday's practices up there on Giants.com, they're back on the field today. They're basically in full pads the rest of the way, folks. So they'll limit how much they do from practice to practice, but they will be in full pads from here on out. Practice begins today again. The guys take the field at 2.30 and you get stretched at 2.45. And then you kind of get into what's going to be going on. So, very busy day today in media availabilities, Lance. We had head coach Pat Shermer, Bill McGovern, uh, linebackers coach Craig Johnson, the running back coach, Ryan Connolly, the rookie linebacker, O'Shane Zimenez, Dexter Lawrence, Eli Manning. I will leave the floor to you. Where would oh, you wow. like to start? I want to start with Eli Manning. I thought something that was interesting that he brought to the forefront, as well as Pat Shermer, who first spoke, was uh, just the different routine that Eli Manning took on himself this offseason, hiring a, a local trainer, uh, doing some baseball-related activities, uh, strengthening the arms, strengthening his legs, and, and just trying to preserve what he's been doing well, but also look for ways to improve. Not earth-shattering news. Eli does work out every single offseason, but the fact that he took a different approach this late in his career I thought was somewhat interesting, and he even said it was something that he needed to try, he needed to experiment with. So, you know, that was something that he pointed out, and also I think Pat Shermer noticed too when he was asked the question about, you know, what have you observed differently about Eli Manning this season? He said, well, his offseason approach was a little bit different than year number one with him. Yeah, and his arm looks great. I know a lot of people want to talk about the, one of the reasons he's not playing as well as he did earlier in his career is his arm strength. I really don't think that's a reason. I think there are other reasons you can look at, but I think his arm strength is fine. I really do. I think I heard he was asked the name of the guy he was working with. I think he said Mickey Booker, if I'm not mistaken. It was hard for me to hear him. It but was I definitely think... Mickey. The last name, I'm still not 100% sure. I, you may be right, though. I thought that's what he said. If he's not, I apologize. But, you know, they did a lot more rotator cuff work, keeping the arm fresh. And he says his arm feels stronger than it has more. Frankly, in practice so far, it looks good. And one thing I mentioned yesterday with Jeff Fiegels is that he kind of has a good chemistry with Cody Latimer, and you know he was a deep threat last year, which Eli also mentioned today. But this year, he's hitting him a lot of these intermediate stuff, and he said he's had a great camp so far. And Latimer is one of the guys, Lance, that could try to take advantage of this situation with Golden Tate's suspension, which, of course, we'll find out what happens with the appeal. Sterling Shepard injury, Corey Coleman injury, Darius Slayton injury. He's one of the guys that could step up into a bigger role if he can stay healthy. Well, and he should because he's familiar with the scheme, John, and I think he had a few flashes late last season when he came back from IR. That was something that Eli Manning pointed out. Who knows how far along Cody Latimer would be right now, John, if he actually played a full season. So, I mean, his sample size with the Giants is very small. I think if you're asking me to look for a guy to emerge or who do you think is going to fill in with all of these injuries, I don't think the Giants need to look far, John. I think it's going to be the veterans that were on the team last year. I, I know that everybody gets caught up. They want a sleeper pick. They want somebody mm -hmm. that maybe is falling under the radar. You have Cody Latimer. You have Russell Shepard in camp right now. They both are familiar with Eli Manning. I thought they both filled in admirably last season when the Giants, remember, also suffered injuries at wide receiver. Those are the two guys I'm expecting to fill the voids in the short term 
as well as the long term with Corey Coleman. And I don't think that you have to look at maybe somebody else that just joined the team. I think those guys are going to have opportunities to compete for jobs. And I'm not saying they're long shots to make the roster. But if you wanted to ask me priority-wise, I think Latimer and Russell Shepard at the top of the list. I think Benny Fowler's in that mix, yeah, too. Fowler, too, he, is he, a good he, name. He yeah. played a lot in the last year. But I, I'm, I think Darius Slayton, if he can get back on the field now, the longer he's out, the further back he is, and the longer it's going to take for him to get caught up. But you know, I don't want to spend the whole show on wide receivers. We did a lot of that yesterday with Fiegels. But... I think Slayton's that guy with that deep speed that if he can get healthy and get back on the field and playing, I would hope, three preseason games. I think at this point, unless he's out there today, I'm not sure he's going to be ready for the for the game next Thursday. I think that might be a little bit of an ask. You want to try to let these guys work into it a little bit. You don't want them re-aggravating the injury. But if he can play in three preseason games, even the last two, I could see him working into a deep threat role when we get to the regular season. A couple other rookies spoke over the course of media availability. So I thought it was interesting. I'll give you my takes from O'Shane Zimenez and Dexter Lawrence. Uh, I asked Zimenez about the chance he's had to go up against Remmers and Solder. And, and you know, he's not with the ones a lot, but he is a little bit. And he said what he likes to do, and I thought it was a great answer, is after he rushes against those guys, he goes and he talks to them. And he asks them, well, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing well? And he said one piece of advice they gave him is that he was maybe had a little bit of a tell of when he tried to get inside, and they were able to read that and stop it. So he's trying to be less predictable, rush hard to the outside first, sell that before trying to make that inside move. But he spoke very analytically about it. He's thought deeply about it. He's a guy that coming out that Pat Shermer said he has moves and counter moves, and clearly he's trying to hone that part of his craft when he has the chance to go against veteran tackles like Remmers, like Solder, Two guys that certainly are like nothing like the players that he played at Old Dominion against. Huge step up. And it's good that they're talking. That's what they should be doing, oh, yeah, John. Absolutely. And it's not just defensive linemen and offensive linemen. We're seeing corners and wide receivers talk. And you should be able to say, hey, this is what you should do differently because I see your tell. And this is what you need to do in order to adjust so that when you go up somebody, go up against somebody that is not necessarily in a Giants uniform, that you'll know how to react under those circumstances. My other big takeaway from Zimenez is, and I think he was very forthright in saying, hey, I knew when OTA started, I was in for, I don't want to put rude awakening in his mouth because that wasn't necessarily the term that he utilized, but he did admit there was an adjustment period where he knew, hey, this is not college anymore. There's a huge, significant step up from Old Dominion to the NFL. And that's what we've been telling you all offseason. It's one thing to show potential and upside. It's another thing, though, when you make the jump from a lesser college program to now the NFL level when you have to go up against the Remmers and the Soldiers of the world. So he flat out admitted, he said, hey, you know, it took me a few weeks to get the gist of what they're doing, the complexity of the scheme. And now I think he feels a lot more comfortable. So now he could play, but his big focus is, okay, I understand the scheme. Now how does it translate to the football field? And what type of adjustments do I need to make so that I can actually get the better of the veterans and so forth? So it's nice to see that back and forth that I think is happening between the young pass rushers as well as the veteran offensive line. Yeah, then talked to Dexter Lawrence, spoke to him a little bit. He says he likes playing the 3-4 defensive end spot because there's more space. Obviously, easier to pass rush from that spot, so I'm really not surprised that he gave that answer. If I was a defensive lineman, I'd rather play that 3-4 defensive end spot than that nose tackle spot, so that didn't surprise me. I talked to him a little bit about Zeitler and Hernandez, what it's like going up against them. He said he's kind of learning how guys do different pass sets depending on the play and how he beats those specific pass sets, stuff that he's learning. He said a little bit different than college, 
he's constantly being coached by Gary Emanuel, who's the defensive line coach, and James Betcher to get upfield. When he said at Clemson, you're reading more, and then you decide how you play based on what you're seeing. He says here, you get upfield, get upfield, which is what we talk about a one-gap system, right? And play the run on the way there. He also talked a little bit about, he was asked why at 6'6", or 6'5", whatever he is, 340, players in the past at that size generally have not been pass rushers. And his answer to Kim Jones was, well, I'm not everybody else. Yeah, that was a good answer. Which I thought was a really good answer. And he just said he's, he's picking, some up, picking stuff up from those big guys as he walked out. Um, I talked to him a little bit, and I kind of asked him when he's at defensive end because the Giants have two different defensive end positions. You're either kind of playing the three slash four or you're playing the five. And then when he's in the nickel, is he playing you know, the nose over the center or is he playing more three technique? And he said, I'm playing all four spots depending on the strength of the defense. So he'll shift. So they're using him in every single spot on that defense, folks. So when you get to the regular season, he's not going to be specialized. He's going to be at the three, the four, the five. He's going to be inside in pass rush situations. And he stressed that he expects to be used as a three-down defensive lineman. Now, I want to stress, and we see this with defensive linemen across the league, he's not going to be a 90% of the snaps guy. When you're 340 pounds, folks, you're not playing even 80% of the snaps. He's going to be probably around 60, 65% of the snaps, which is fine. Get him in the right situations and let him use that power, strength, and unreal quickness for that size to try to get to the quarterback. Yeah, I think they look at him as somebody who has the upside and potential to play on all three downs. That doesn't mean that he's actually going to be out on the field, but they're encouraged in terms of what he's shown in practice. They're moving him around, and he has full confidence that he's going to be able to get to the quarterback. Now, I think he showed some flashes of that, John, in college. I point to the leg injury, the foot injury. I think, you know, you can't read into the stats too much because he wasn't fully 100%. He even admitted that. I think the Giants knew that when they drafted him. So now that he's back to full health, you know, there's potential for him to constantly get after the quarterback, but he is a physical specimen. He's a physical presence, and it doesn't hurt to have him on the field regardless of the down because you know, John, if you're an offensive lineman, you're going to have to pay attention to him. And oh, even yeah. if he's not getting home, by the way, at the quarterback, he's opening up things enough for the guys maybe at the edges if he's on the interior, which is what Snacks did. You focus your attention on the interior, the pocket collapses, the guys can converge from the outside, and that's what I think they think Dexter Lawrence could do consistently. No question about it, and just another note very quick on Lawrence. He was, according to PFF, the third best pressure rate among defensive tackles in the draft. So while it didn't get reflected in the sacks, he was around the quarterback an awful lot. When you watch the tape, and I watched a lot of Clemson because you had a million guys coming out of that program on the defensive line. Christian Wilkins, Cleland Farrell, um, of course, uh, Dexter Lawrence. I'm trying to remember who the fourth guy was. It's escaping my mind. But there were four. Well, those were the, the main guys that went high in the draft. Yeah, there was one guy that went in the middle rounds, though, I think. Either way, I watched a lot of Clemson, and he was in that backfield just as much, if not more, than Christian Wilkins. So he can rush the passer. A couple other notes. Uh, two guys that I listened to a little bit, Bill McGovern and Ryan Connolly. McGovern was asked about Connolly, and he basically said, look, we're going to find out if he's ready to run a huddle. And he's now the Mike linebacker with the second team next to Nate Stupar, and he goes, look, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do when there's not a veteran out there with him. And talking to Ryan Connell, I asked him, what are you really working on? He said, look, a lot of the pre-snap calls and reads are stuff that I didn't have to do in college, and I'm still trying to figure all that out. So it's always going to be a process for a guy that's making the calls at the line as a middle linebacker, and that's what he's starting to figure out. It's going to take some time. I doubt he'll be ready as a rookie, 
But down the road, he's got the speed. You hope he can become a guy that can have a more prominent role. But in the meantime, he'll be a staple on special teams, obviously. One quick note, Austin Bryant was the other Clemson defensive lineman. Went to the Lions in the middle round. As far as your point about Ryan Connolly, I was listening in to Bill McGovern, who spoke to the media today, and he was peppered with a lot of questions about Connolly related to what you were just talking about. You know, can he actually be that guy that sets the defense up? And can he be that vocal presence? And they're putting him in those situations, McGovern said, but to make those bold claims right now is getting ahead of ourselves. But they like what they're seeing. There's potential there. But, you know, for them to throw him right into the fire immediately, I don't know necessarily if they're going to put him in that spot because even McGovern said last year, if you look back at what Tay Davis, you know, Davis, it took him some time. He eventually mm-hmm. got to a point where John had clicked. But at the very beginning of the season, even if him – making the roster was impressive. They weren't saying to themselves, all right, now we're going to have him command the defense and expect him to take on that role. So I can see as the season progresses, Connolly gaining the confidence of the coaching staff. And once we get in a quarter into the season or later, then they maybe feel comfortable placing him in that role. McGovern also asked about B.J. Goodson, what his role might be. And he said, look, we love him as, as a guy that's physical and a run stopper in base. But he said they have they feel like he got a lot better in nickel last year too. And that's a space they a spot they will be willing to, to use him in over the course of the year. But fourth, he's going to be the 3-4 base mid-inside linebacker next to Ogletree, and how much his role expands after that, we will have to wait and see. I was doing a DeAndre Baker interview while Pat Shermer was talking, and I did not catch Craig Johnson. So anything from those two guys, Lance, why don't you take it away with what those guys addressed? Well, Craig Johnson, the Giants running backs coach, was asked a lot about Saquon Barkley's productivity this season because of the astonishing numbers that he put up as a rookie. And you know, one of the things he was asked, John, was, you know, it's very difficult for running backs in back-to-back years to get 2,000 total yards. Do you think it's feasible? And He flat out admitted, yeah, it's going to be a very tall order for Saquon Barkley to get to that point, but they keep their expectations high. Barkley has high expectations. And, you know, one of the things that he says Barkley constantly tells him when they're looking at film, when they're working on adjustments, I want to do anything that's possible to get this team to win. If it means sacrificing stats, if it means sacrificing touches, so be it. That's what Saquon is, man. That's what he is. That's not necessarily a surprise. Craig Johnson certainly wasn't startled by that news, but... Does he have the potential to get to 2,000? I think he does. I don't think that's crazy. And I think what also is going to help his cause, if Golden Tate does not win his appeal, John, and he misses the first four games, that's even going to be more of an opportunity for Saquon Barkley to get a lot of touches, at least in the first quarter of the season. So if the first quarter of the season are going to lean on him, whether it be a receiver or running back, yeah, 2,000 to me is very much reachable again. Absolutely. And in fact, I would expect them more total yards than he had last year, to be honest with you. I think the offensive line's better, and I think that's going to bode well for him, to be quite honest with you. I think with the wide receiver injuries, and, and we'll get to something else that, if you have anything else that Pat Shermer addressed in a second, but when I think about the wide receiver injuries and if Golden Tate can't be there week one, yeah, you have a veteran that can step in or maybe a Slayton, whomever, that's going to take some of those wide receiver reps, and that's great, it's fine. But to me, Lance, you know, maybe a guy like you know Cameron Meredith who just got let go is somebody the Giants look to bring in. That's something I think if his knee's good, he remember he tore his ACL two years ago, that's someone yeah. I think you could take a look at. I don't know if the Giants are interested or not, but it's someone that jumped off the page to me who was actually a fairly highly sought-after free agent last year before he had that injury. So, you know, I think it's going to be more a matter of how they adjust the scheme and how they play. And I just think the more I thought about it, and I mentioned this on yesterday's show too, I think you just see a lot of 12 personnel. And as long as Ingram and Red Ellison are healthy, I think that's going to become the base personnel package for the Giants. You already having a battle for the third wide receiver spot that was up in the air. If there's no Golden Tate, 
Who knows who the number two and three guys are? So I think you're going to see a lot of tight ends on the field. You're going to see the fullback on the field. And they'll do a lot of stuff out of big personnel and try to set up mismatches for Barkley and Ingram in play action. And I think, you know, along with Sterling Shepard, when he gets back, those are going to be your big-time weapons. Well, and the wide receiver is going to have to step up. And I know that may be stating the obvious, but one of the things Craig Johnson pointed out, John, was late in the season, this was during the period in which Odell Beckham did not play, you know, they were throwing the extra guys in the box. Nah, they were there all year. Well, though. but he, he had mentioned specifically when Beckham wasn't there and that that's more of a reason why, you know, the more the wide receivers produce, whoever it is, you have to give the defense a reason to not put all your resources towards stopping Saquon Barkley. That's true, okay, too. Th- that, that's basically how I look at If you were to ask me, okay, what do you need to do to stop the Giants? Clearly, my focus is on Barkley. So if I'm the Giants, I'm saying, let's give them a reason not to focus on Barkley. Whether it be Tate, whether it be Shepard, Ingram, you listed a bunch of guys. 100%. All it has to be is somebody else other than Barkley. If that person presents as a consistent force, now all of a sudden, you can't get to the point where you're just going to say, we're going to bring the extra guy in the box. You got to worry about some of the guys on the outside. And I think in that point, though, you really have to use the run to open up the pass. And I'm not talking about the old, you know, establish the run thing. I think, look, if you're going to have, just look how the Patriots worked this last year in the Super Bowl, right? They came out for those two consecutive plays in 22 personnel, but then they spread it out. So they bring the fullback in, they bring the two tight ends in, and how do the, oh boy, the Rams, thank you. I had a brain fart for a second. <laughs> how do the Rams answer? They bring out their base defense, right? Because the Patriots have big people on the field. Of course. Then the Patriots take that 22 personnel, which, again, a running back, fullback, two tight ends, one wide receiver, and they spread them all out wide. What happens then? You get Gronkowski on a linebacker. You get your running back set up on a linebacker. And those are the mismatched players the Giants have, linebacker and running back. So I think that's how you'll have to operate then. And, yeah, eventually you're going to have to go – two-minute drills, three-wide, four-wide. You're going to have to do it. You have no choice at some point. Someone's going to have to step up. But I think as your base, I think you try to throw out of big personnel using play action because, you know, maybe your second and third wide receivers aren't the most explosive guys that are going to just, you know, kill people one-on-one consistently. And that's how I look at it. No, I think that's a very fair assessment. You'll take Saquon Barkley matched up against just about anybody, John, out of the backfield because you know that he has the ability to force people to miss at his speed. And I'll take, him against, too. I'll take him against a safety, for goodness yeah, sake. Yeah, well, that's what I said. It, it doesn't just need to be a linebacker. Let him put a safety. Let him put a defensive back. I'll still take my chances. I like that matchup. So I think that Engram and Barkley are huge guys that can really set the tone of the potential of this offense this season if they go with that bigger personnel, as you mentioned. Because part of the rationale is, by you using that parallel to the Patriots, is let's suck them in okay, and then spread them out and see by now spreading them out if they could still be as effective when they're grouped together in that box area. Yeah, you're forced to put the put the big people on the field. You know, don't let them get and their force them to run a little bit nickel too. and dime guys on there. Because once you get multiple DBs, you can get a DB on Ingram or Barkley and you can figure it out, right? But when you got all these linebackers on the field, then it's a lot harder. Yeah, and not everybody has Luke Keekley. I mean, Luke Keekley, I'd be okay putting him yeah, on. Yeah, Bobby Wagner, Lane Van Der Esch, Not whatever. everybody has that type of a linebacker they can be able to throw out. 201-939-4513. It's all presented by Coors Light. I will get to your tweets as well as hashtag Giants Chat. Let's start with Scott in New Mexico. He's been holding the longest. Hey, Scott, what's up? Hey, guys. How are you doing today? Doing great. Nice, what's up? Uh, I was. I think all your points that you made between the two of you were spot on, and uh, I had some questions about the linebacker. Something you said yesterday, John, that intrigued me. Uh, in regards to Lorenzo Carter, 
if he were to move back into a traditional linebacking role, uh, which I thought was a, actually a very astute point, would that change the dynamic of the linebacking core itself? Because I was really concerned about the linebackers themselves, and I know you mentioned Connolly and a couple of other guys, but as you foresee it, is that an actual possibility because he does have great coverage skills that uh, Carter could be that linebacker, maybe even a hybrid linebacker that goes between the line and then back uh, that might really cement uh, the defensive position of the, the front seven. I was just curious because you really, I thought that was a great idea. Yeah, Bill McGovern talked about that today. I think, you know, I got there late and he was answering the first question about a linebacker that was like super versatile and could do a lot of things. I just assumed he was talking about Lorenzo Carter. I'm not sure that he was, but he okay. talked about how he can do a little bit of everything. He can cover, he can drop, and that flexibility helps you. But here's the bottom line. If you're going to be an outside linebacker in the 3-4, you need to rush the passer. That's the position. That's that's 80 to 90% of the position. So as long as the Giants are in this scheme and Carter's a 3-4 outside linebacker, three-quarters of his job is going to be rushing the passer. So while okay. it's great that he's good at that other stuff, if he wants to stick there, and get a guy, be a guy that gets a lot of playing time there, he has to become a better pass rusher than he was last year. He has all the tools in the world to do it. He even looks better in the offseason this year. Let's see what happens when he gets in a game. Yeah, I mean, you're not putting him in the game so that he could be an extra defensive back. And what you're pointing to, Scott, I remember the play against the San Francisco 49ers last season. I believe it was Matt Breida. It was Matt Breida. Okay, who yep. ran sort of a wheel route, and Carter did a great job staying with him and was all over him. So you like to see that, but I don't think the Giants envision Lorenzo Carter being on the field so that in the event a running back runs a wheel route, they can have him match up. They need him to pursue and get after the quarterback just like they need O'Shane Zimenez to do that, just like they need Marcus Golden to do that. So I think that in piecemeal, you want to have the ability that in the event they have guys down the field, multiple players can take on that assignment, not just Lorenzo Carter. Okay. And also, uh, do by necessity the Giants, and I think you guys were uh, addressing the point, do the Giants become a more run-heavy type of offense as a, because of the situation that exists with the wide receivers until that all works itself out? And if so, does that mean that uh, Wayne Goldman and Paul Perkins now will get more snaps uh, in the beginning of the season because by necessity they may not uh, if they run the 12 personnel? I mean, if you look at New England when they had Gronkowski and Hernandez, they sort of dominated the league, but I don't think the Giants have a secondary tight end equivalent to, well, uh, you know, to a Gronkowski. Uh, you know, I, I sort of look at Hernandez and Evan Ingram as sort of a similar type of athlete, but I was just curious how that would work also uh, from the tight end position if they have somebody they can actually put on the field that can, uh, you know, sort of move the uh, defense around. Yeah, and, you know, I... I talk about playing bigger personnel, and I understand why you would think that why I would mean run heavy, but look, you're not going to win a lot of games in this league, especially with the defensive issues the Giants might have early because of all the young guys out there. You're not going to win a lot of games running the ball 60% of the time. It's just not going to work. That's not what the league is anymore, and you're just not going to score enough points. So when I say use the big personnel... I want you to pass out of those packages a lot because, you again, you get the big people on the field for the defense, and then that opens up situations through the air to get mismatched. So might they run a little bit more? Sure, but I think Pat Shermer is looking for a balance. What that perfect balance is, is it 60-40? Is it 58-42? Is it it 55-45? I think that might be leaning a little bit too much to the run. There is some kind of balance that he wants, and even with the wide receiver injuries, Pat Shermer came from the West Coast offense. He will throw right. the football. Yeah, Trust me. He's going to have to. I mean, you've you, become too predictable and appreciate the phone call, Scott. 
where, you know, John and I were talking earlier. You want to be able to run the football, but if you're going to put the extra guys in the box and you're basically saying we need to stop Barkley, you're eventually going to have to throw out of those formations because you're going to have to get the defense to react. So the answer can't be, well, our wide receivers core banged up. Now we're just going to obviously focus on the run. Now I'm looking up the numbers. Uh, Last season, the Giants ran the ball 354 times. That was 29th in the NFL. The reason I'm bringing that up, Barkley got a huge part of those 354 carries. And even if the carries go up, I don't think the percentage is going to change, John. Barkley's still going to be the main workhorse. Yeah, would they sprinkle in guys like Perkins and guys like Goldman or Rod Smith, whoever makes the team a little bit more? Yes, but I'm beyond the days of every year we get calls, who's going to be the goal line back? Who's going to be the third down back? I'm tired of having these conversations, John. Barkley's the guy. Barkley's going to be in scoring position. Barkley's going to be in the middle of the field. Barkley's going to be at the beginning of drives. They're going to pick their drives to rest him like they did in that Eagles game that, by the way, half of the fan base has still ruffled all of their feathers and they haven't gotten over that, but they're not going to take Barkley off the field even if the amount of carries increase. I just don't see it happening. No. Look, they're going to pick spots to give him a blow. Now, I'm sure in their metrics, and Patrick was actually asked this the other day, he declined to give a full answer on it because he doesn't want to tip his hand to other teams, obviously. But I would imagine they have workload ideas for him in individual games and during the year. And they're not going to, you know, you don't want a guy to get 450 touches in a year anymore. You just don't. It's too many. It's too many. You can't do that. This isn't 1993 anymore. All right? It's just not. So Barkley will get plenty of touches, but Goldman's going to get time. And then, by the way, Goldman doesn't even run with the twos in practice. He runs with the ones along with Barkley. Barkley... Let me put it. How can I put this kindly? They've limited his reps. Well, <laughs> I, I think they're trying to be a little bit careful, and yeah. I don't blame them. Um, so Goldman's got a lot of run with the ones, and Rod Smith and Perkins have kind of been with the twos. And I think Rod Smith's actually looked really good, to be quite honest with you. So uh, that's how I look at it, and I think both those guys will get work over the course of the year to to spell Barkley in game. So they don't run the poor kid into the ground. That that you know you want him to stay explosive. That's what he is. He's an explosive player. Well, and I'm not worried about his workload in practice now. It's more about the regular season, so it makes 100% sense. He had 261 of the team's 354 carries last season. Goldman had 51. And then if you go beyond Goldman, John, the next guy was Eli Manning, who had 15. Jonathan Stewart, and I know he was on IR, so that's not somebody that had a huge sample size. Elijah Penny had seven carries. But remember, you know, Evan Engram was out of the lineup, you figure his touches are going to increase. I'm not talking about the rushing game. I'm just talking about pure touches. So his touches increase. You got Golden Tate now in the mix, regardless of him missing games because of the pending suspension. Sterling Shepard, they're going to be able, I think, to spread the wealth around where, you know, Barkley's not going to be the entire offense. But as far as the running game is concerned, I don't think the ratio is going to be that different from what we saw last year. No, the numbers might go up. The Giants trailed a lot last year. Of course. Last year, he only averaged 16 rushes per game, Barkley. I would guess from 261, I would say he's a lot closer to 300 than he is to 250 next year. I think that's fair. So you're looking at an increase of about 40 carries, and then you split that up over the course of 16 games. I I would say an extra two and a half carries or so per game. Give or take. I think that's certainly feasible. I'm with you there. If he winds up around 18 carries a game next year, I think that sounds about right. And like we've talked about before, I don't want to rehash the whole conversation, he had 91 catches last year. He had 352 touches over the course of the year. I think those receptions will be more effective, and he'll get further down the field on those because those dump-offs aren't giving you a whole lot, right? 
especially on third and long. He'll have fewer catches, maybe just as many yards. Maybe that catching range gets you down to the 75 area. So I think you're looking at anywhere between 360 and 380 touches for him next year. Touches, combined rushes and receptions. I'd say around 375 would be a a decent number where I would project it will wind up around. Fair? Yeah, I think all those numbers are fair. I'm looking at his receiving totals from last season. He averaged 7.9 yards per reception. So if the receptions go down by about 15, to your point, the goal for the Giants is that 7.9-yard average. Get it to to 9 or 9.5. Yeah, and then that's how you get more production with less work, which I think any player would sign up for, specifically a coaching staff. Hey, look, and Lance, you got to look. And we've talked about this in show a million times. And this will be one of my keys to the season when we get there. Are you getting explosive plays through the passing game? If you want to win the NFL now, you can't depend on sustaining 12 and 15, 16 play drives. It's too hard. Penalties, mistakes, good defenses. Take your pick. It's hard to sustain those long drives. Eventually, you need big plays. Saquon is certainly capable of giving you those through the ground. I want to see him give you a couple through the air. I want to see Evan Ingram give you a couple through the air. Can one of the wide receivers step up and be a consistent big play guy through the air? The Giants had that in Odell Beckham Jr. Where he could catch the ball 12 yards down the field and then run forever. He didn't do it as much last year, but in years past, he was great at it, okay? Can they figure out a way to make up for that, what I think will be a reduction in big play potential from the wide receiver position? That's going to be really, really important to how successful and explosive this Giants offense is this year. Well, you're thinking of at least the one that jumps into my head is the first Eagles matchup last season. Barkley had that big short throw, and then he ran right through the heart of the Eagles defense. Mm -hmm. But you know what I remember about that play, John? He gets tackled. They're right in the red zone, and then penalties and protection issues kick them out of the red zone, and they don't even walk away with points from that type of drive. So to me, it's not just the explosive plays, John. It's also finishing with those explosive plays. And look at that. Look, the one game the Giants won in a blowout last year, right? Against the Redskins. Saquon had two really long runs. One went for a touchdown. One got him inside the red zone. I think inside the 10, actually, if I remember right. The one where Shepard and Beckham, everybody helped block. Correct. And they made a couple big plays through the air in that game, too. That's how you score 30, 40 points, guys. You don't score 30, 40 points by having a bunch of 8-minute, 12, 13, 14-play drives. You get it by having 40, 40 yards, boom, 50 yards, boom, 60 yards, boom, touchdown. That's how you get to that type of scoring level. All right, let's get back to the calls. I don't know how we even got on that tangent, but we did. That was fun. Matt Nice Islip, he's up next. Hey, Evan. Hey, Matt. Hey, guys. How are you? What's uh, up? It's been a while since I called in, but I wanted to make a couple points. Um, one on defense, actually. I was calling for the offense, but one on defense uh, you guys brought up. Uh, with the linebacker position, thinking about Lorenzo Carter, I was a big fan of him coming out of Georgia, but uh, it made me think a little bit about the coverage, and linebackers for the Giants have struggled in coverage for what seems to be um, an eternity for me, my 25 years of life. But uh, <laughs> I think it's a copycat league, and I can't help but think of what the Chargers did to the Ravens in the playoffs. I think that they went six DBs uh, on the field, and Maybe that's what the Giants will try to do to help um, maybe if there's still that weakness at the linebacker coverage uh, situation. Maybe they're going to work with Julian Love and, you know, Ballantyne now and, you know, with Jack Rabbit and uh, Baker. You know, they have a plethora now of D-backs. So maybe they'll try to work in that a little bit more now, seeing that, you know, the top to top league, like I said, that's always an, an option. 
So I'm curious to see what you guys think about that. And then offensively, what I was going to say is, you know, I think that there's going to be a receiver on this roster come opening day that's not on the team right now. Um, possible. Of course, you know, with the cuts sure. and all that stuff. Yeah, look, so, I, 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 th- I think that's very possible. You know, and I think, I, you know, to be honest with you, as an optimistic Giants fan, to be honest with you, I wouldn't be so upset with Shepard, Latimer, and Slayton week one as the three receivers, with Evan Ingram, of course, playing a big role as well. And then, you know, you have Simonson and Allison, as you guys were alluding to earlier. Uh, I don't really think that that's all that horrible. I mean, you know, Latimer flashed towards the end of the season when he came back from IR. You know, Slayton seems to be coming on. I know he has the hamstring now, but, you know, I, I don't think that that's really the, the worst thing that, you know, I know Giants fans, of course, with Tate and, you know, with Shepard being hurt, you know, are kind of, you know, crying here and upset, and rightly so, but I don't think that that's like the end of the world situation. I think that Shermer, like you guys said, he likes the two tight ends, uh, Simonson and Nelson. I think they're going to be on this team, especially for their blocking and their toughness. I think that that's just kind of, like you said, running hard-nosed football, especially with the new offensive line. I just It just makes sense, I think, right now. I think you know, going into week one, it's not the worst thing in the world. I just want to see what you guys think about that because I think that that's, it's they're good pieces. So, you know, definitely kind of listen to what you guys have to say about those two points. Well, it's not the worst thing in the world, Matt, but it's not good. Um, if, if, no, it's if, not. If, if, if Tate and Shepard both aren't there, then you're getting close to the worst thing in the world, maybe the second yeah. or third worst things in the world. But if it's just Tate, they survived last year in the final four games. And again, it's a small sample size. I'll stress that, and it's not a be-all, end-all. But last four games last year, they basically ran out Ingram, Barkley, Sterling Shepard, and then some combination of Benny Fowler and Russell Shepard. That's basically what they were rolling out there, wide receiver. And they were fine. They did okay. That's what you hope to copycat when they went, did more stuff under center. They did more stuff with big personnel. Now, you're going to see Evan Ingram at tight end, not Simonson, because you want to, you know, you need somebody out there to catch the damn ball. So right. that, that's what you'll see, but I, I think you're on the right track. I think that is the path they're going to go down. Yeah. I, mean, I think with, with Ingram, you know, you talk about, you know, the background with, with Shula, you know, and, of course, Gettleman in Carolina having a guy like Devin Funches who fits that bigger wide receiver role. And I think you may see that a little bit more from Ingram this year you know, a little bit more outside, and obviously his speed and athleticism is a mismatch, so definitely look forward to seeing that a little bit more, if he can stay healthy and kind of uh, get over some of his drop issues that he had in the past seasons. Well, and they used Engram a lot in those final four games. That's why his production went up. He was also healthy, to your point, and appreciate the phone call, Matt. Uh, Two things that I want to bring up on things that he mentioned. You know, he said that could be a wide receiver on this team, final cuts that's not here. Yes, it's certainly possible, but I just want to take you back to last season. The Giants made six waiver claims, if you recall, John. Uh, there was a lot of movement for them to solidify the back end of the roster. And, you know, just look at these six guys, and I'm, I'm not poo-pooing on them, but the reason I'm bringing them up is you tell me, John, who made a significant impact on this team last year in about the first five or six games. Mario Edwards, do you remember him making no. a significant impact? Kalen Clay didn't even nope. last here for very long. Okay, Spencer Pulley, yep, remember? He did. But, but it took time for him to be integrated, and because of the jalapeno injury, it opened the door. So keep that in mind. Who, if, was, who was the veteran they had inside that went in its center before Pulley was ready? Yeah, the I can't former think of Ram. His, yeah, I can't think of his damn name. He was with Shermer with the Rams and the Browns. John is his first name. Yeah, it'll I come don't to me. remember. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Uh, as far as the other guys here, as we continue through the list, 
Antonio Hamilton, who certainly became a key special teamer, but that was more late. Uh, defensive back Michael Jordan, and then defensive back Cameron Moore, who's on the suspended list. My point is, if you're hoping for a prayer to come from a late waiver claim at wide receiver, who also, by the way, wouldn't have been here to build chemistry with Eli Manning, I, I think that the expectation should be heavily kept in check for that guy to come in and make an impact. Yeah, I wasn't thinking, when I said that earlier, I wasn't thinking as much guys that get cut at the end of the day. John I was Sullivan, thinking, is that it? I'm that's sorry. it, okay. exactly. It just popped in my head. I was, no, yeah, no, 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 no. John Sullivan, when he was with no? the Vikings last okay, year. Okay, you're right. I'm thinking of the wrong yeah, guy. Yeah. It'll come to me. I'm going to get it now. But he, but he, he was a center, though. Which he was, so, yeah. So, so, I'm so thinking of are, a different so, Ram. So you are on the yeah. right track there. It was John, okay, it was something. Um, But... You know, when you take a look at those receivers that are available now, there are some veterans where if you get there and you're like, oh boy, we want a veteran here if Tate's going to be on the game. Thank you, John Greco. Okay, go ahead. I had to get to that. Then you have a guy like Crabtree, or, and again, or a guy like Cameron Meredith, two guys that are out there. If the Giants determine that they need somebody to step in and play, you know, the guys they've added for now are depth. They're, they're guys to help in camp, right? They're not guys that you think are going to compete for a, a, you know, a roster spot, let alone a starting spot. But if you get to the point where you know Golden Tate's going to be going to, going to be suspended for four games, maybe you take a longer look at some of these veterans that might want more playing time. You know what I mean? And I get that. Though I think T.J. Jones, given the fact that he's going to get a lot of reps here, you know, could very well solidify one of those roster spots, uh, especially if Golden Tate ends up on the suspended list. I mean, Five-year pro. Yeah. So I, I don't think that's a, a stretch. And the reason why they brought back... Uh, Hamba Edatao is because he also has familiarity with the scheme, too, from last season. So that is somebody that's going to help. The other point I wanted to make before we get back to the phone lines, the caller asked about whether or not they would put more defensive backs on the field mm. if they're not confident in the coverage from the linebackers. And he brought up the Chargers-Ravens playoff game, which I thought was a good example. Keep in mind, though, Matt, the Chargers were decimated by injuries at the linebacker spot for that playoff game. That was part of the rationale why their defensive coordinator went in the direction of we got to rely on the healthy guys. That was one reason that I want to point out. It's not necessarily a health issue. But when you do look at the Giants personnel, John, and you say the versatility of Jabril Peppers and then bringing in Antoine Bethea, Michael Thomas, he could play in the slot, he could play safety. I could see Julian that Love, same Julian thing. Julian Love is another one. Where I was going to get was the three safety look. And then with three corners, I don't think that's a crazy suggestion right now. And use Peppers as the second linebacker, right? Exactly. No, I, I, yeah. think, I don't think that's out of the question. So that I is agree. something that I would look at. And the Giants have done that. Not when Betcher was here. Remember, when Deion, Deion Grant, Grant. You know, always put that third safety out there. So, yeah, that I could see them roll out if they feel good about what they see out of some of these other safeties and the versatility they can bring to the table. All right, let's go back to the phones and say what's up to Mike down in Florida. Then David in California will be next. Mike, what's up? Hi, John. Hi, Lance. How you doing? What's up? What do you got for us? uh, John, I want to give you uh, some kudos on the podcast with Kurt Warner. Excellent job. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Honestly, he was very generous with his time. He was very uh, honest and forthright. It, it It was fun to do. I was, you know, I was kind of fascinated by uh, a lot of things he said. Um, one of them was at the point when Eli, uh, they, you know, made the switch off to Eli. I think they were five and three or five and four. Five and four, uh, and the bet, the bet, and then I'm, I'm going to interrupt you real quick, Mike. What got me was Tom Coughlin basically said to him, "I know this isn't fair to you, but this is what we have to do." Which I thought was a really, yeah. really interesting that Tom was so honest with him. To be quite honest with you, yeah, that seems to be what I, you know, I obviously never met the man, but that seems to be his mo. He always uh, has a, a face-to-face with somebody and lets them know 
this is why I'm doing it, and this is you know the situation. Um, the team. The other thing I found interesting was um, a team that made the playoffs that year was eight and eight. So uh, that was a gutsy call by um, by Coach Coughlin, but I just uh, I feel he made it because I don't think he he thought the team was gonna if they did even make the playoffs that they were gonna go very far, mm-hmm. and it was more important to get Eli some snaps. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. I got a couple of questions. Um, what do you guys feel about the competition for the third running back slot? I know you're talking about Rod Smith before. I liked Perkins before his injury. Um, I think Co- Coach McAdoo at the time actually named him before the season started. He was the, the lead back. He was going to be the, the starting running back that year. Yep. Um, and then also the third tight end spot because I'm hearing a lot of great things about C.J. Conrad, not much about Scott Simonson, and I'm wondering if, uh, you know, what you guys think cause, because of what I'm hearing from, from you guys, and, uh, and Paul, Paul seems to be sky high on C.J. Conrad, too. Um, and the last thing, uh, big, big George, we don't hear much about him. Um, I was wondering how his development is is coming along. There's a I look. Know, John, you, you get to see all the practices, and you know, I I know you like to keep your line on uh, eye on the trenches too. Does he get much work? No, look, George. George gets some work with the threes. He sometimes moves up to the twos when Remmers and Solder get a couple of plays off because they're coming back from those injuries. He's been fine, but I look. I think asking for a seventh round offensive tackle. To give you anything in his first year is asking a lot. Even Chad Wheeler, remember, he was basically on the practice squad for that entire first year, didn't give him anything. So I think expecting anything from Georgia in year one is probably asking a lot. Real quick on the other two points, uh, I think Rod Smith has looked better than Perkins. I'm a Perkins fan, you know me. I made a fool out of myself talking about how good I thought he was going to be two years ago. I still like him, but I think Rod Smith has looked pretty good so far in practice. And then what was the, and, and then you have Conrad. He's he's made more plays than Simonson through the air. He has. I think Simonson might be a little bit a bit of a blocker uh, at the current time, but I think Conrad has a real good chance of making this team. Lance, well, with Simonson also, you know, remember he was on the team last year. I think they know what they get out of him. And Simonson was never necessarily a guy that was wowing you with practice plays, even if you go back to last season. The one thing I will say is, if they do want the extra blocker, it would not surprise me if Conrad maybe is a potential guy that goes on the practice squad. It depends on needs, depends on how injuries play out. Just because a guy is not active and flashing and stealing all the highlights at practice doesn't mean that he's not doing a good job and the coaches don't value him. So I wouldn't dismiss that so quickly. As far as the running back position is concerned, I do think there is something to be said of a guy that missed all of last season, yet they still kept him in the mix and they brought him back. And I'm referring to Paul Perkins, Mm -hmm. John. So, you know, that is something that, once again, also shouldn't be overlooked. Rod Smith is a versatile back. He's also a guy that started off as a fullback with the Cowboys. So that has to be factored in. I wouldn't necessarily give anybody a specific edge. I think Rod Smith's made a little bit more noise at practice, but I think what's going to separate those guys is the preseason games, who takes advantage of the reps, who makes some more explosive plays. But don't overlook the fact that Perkins was kept around. That means something, I think, in the eyes of the coaching staff. One quick thing. Um, I appreciate the answers, guys. Right on. Um, John, from yesterday, do you know if the Giants worked out Victor Cruz or Hakeem Nick? 
Uh, I, I have not heard that that happened. I appreciate the call. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, always, Mike. always good to hear from you, Mike. Yeah, that was not reported. Despite what the guy on line two might want. <sighs> oh, boy. What did I miss? <laughs> no. What? We're not going there now. Oh, okay. We're, we're, we're well, gonna, I didn't even hear about this off the air, so that's why I'm intrigued. I'm going to make him wait. <laughs> Let's go to David in California. He's up Oh, first. now I know. Who What's up, David? About. Okay. Not surprised. Hey, how you guys doing? What's up, buddy? All right, David. Thanks, thanks for taking my call. Hey, I got a question. Do you think they're going to run Saquon between the tackles this year? Because, right, the way I see it is that Gettleman's building that line from the inside out. Those are some pretty beefy guys inside. Zietler and the Hernandez kid, they're saying how strong he is. Now, those tackles are adequate, but they're building that line from the inside out. And I'm asking, do you think they're going to put that kid through the tackles? Yes, I think they will. Now, it's going to be Saquon's responsibility to be disciplined and stay between the tackles once he gets there. But, yeah, I think the strength of this line right now, David, you hit it on the head, are the two guard spots. You know, I think Zeitler's the best lineman on the team. And I think Hernandez probably has the potential to be the second best guy. Is he better than Solder and Remmers yet? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe he can get there. He's still young. But I think the strength of this team right now is at guard. And if you have two really good guards, that's going to help you a lot in the run game. No question about it. Also provide a pocket for Eli to step up and zip that ball in. Bingo. 100%. So, with that being said, i got to disagree with your run-to-pass ratio. I think it's going in the other direction. I think they're going to go to a more balanced approach, control the clock, and use the defense as fresh and fast as possible because that's what you get with young guys, right? Fast and fresh. So if they run the ball more, control the clock more, it keeps the defense off the field a little bit more and lets us control the clock while controlling the tempo of the game as well. Yeah, but keep in mind, winning time of possession is irrelevant if it doesn't equate to points. Thank you. And we've had these conversations time and time again, David, on this show. I'm with you. And I think people point to the Dallas Cowboys doing that with their running game, but also the Cowboys offense put points on the board. So I get your point. Yes, you do want to keep the defense fresh, especially a young defense, which is unproven with an unproven pass rush. But if you're putting together these lengthy drives, which we've seen the Giants do at times, and then Oldrick Rosas is coming out to kick three points, that's not necessarily the recipe for success, David. So the time of possession has to be synonymous with touchdowns. If it becomes synonymous with touchdowns, I think then your plan's going to work. If it's not synonymous with touchdowns, then it really doesn't make a difference in the big picture. Okay, I agree with you 100%. And let's hope they make some touchdowns. Go Big Blue. 100%. Appreciate the, the phone call, call David. Thanks so much for waiting. find the uh, run-pass splits for... All the teams all the last NFL teams. year. Yeah. I mean, if, I'll just throw out the numbers in terms of passes versus runs for the Giants last year. This is not necessarily a ratio point, but just volume. The Giants threw the ball 300, excuse me, 583 times. That's how many times they threw, and they ran 354. So, you know, they were near 600 passes. And they were just over 350 runs. Do you want to get to about 400 runs? Yeah, I think in an ideal world, you'd want to do that. To put things in perspective, last season, the team that ran the ball the most, just so you could look at volume. Seahawks, right? Was Seattle. Yep. At No, actually, wait, let me double check. You may be right. Uh, Baltimore. Seattle was second. That makes sense because of the quarterback. That makes sense. Okay. Baltimore, 547. Seattle, 534. Now, I threw out if the Giants could run 
about 50 more times. Where would that have put them? If you had 400 carries last season as a team, you would have finished 18th in the NFL. So that would have put you just below the midway point. To be top 15 was 411. To be top 10 was 439. The Cowboys were 10th overall in the NFL, and they were at 439. So if you are looking for a huge jump, that means that based on the 354 carries that they had last season— yeah, they're going to have to run the ball about 80 more times than they did last season. Now, the way that they do that, remember, is also based on third down efficiency. Let's not forget about that. You know, that was an area that was not very strong for the Giants last season, and that plays into what the last caller pointed out about time of possession. You, know, you have to be able to convert third downs, or better yet, to avoid seeing third downs, and the way you do that is you're much more efficient on first and second down. Now, I'm bringing up the statistics from last season in terms of where the Giants were on third down, and this has been an Achilles heel for the Giants even before Pat Shermer arrived. Last season, the Giants were 25th in the NFL, 36%, All 69 right. of 191. I got the list. I finally found it. All right, here we go. Okay. Only one team rushed the ball more than 50% of the time last year. That was the Seahawks, okay? They were 528 Next two teams, 48.4, Tennessee, 48.2, Baltimore. Then you get all the way down to 46, and just just for the league average purposes, the 16th and 17th ranked team in terms of amount they rushed the ball were at 40 and 41%. So if you rush the ball 43% of the time, you're going to be in the top 10 in the league in terms of run-pass splits. That's where I think the Giants would max out at. If they if they run the ball more than forty three percent of the time this year, I'd be surprised. Just out of curiosity, yeah. do you have the ability to go back a season or two on that list, or sure. is that just two thousand? Yeah, what do you want to say? What do you? I want you to look up the Minnesota Vikings when Shermer was the offensive coordinator. So that was seventeen. Correct. Sure. I just want to see that as a basis of what the run to pass ratio. Now, granted, different personnel, different offensive line. Before John throws out the number, understand that. But if you're looking for a philosophy or what the ideal condition is for the head coach, that would be a number to look at. 47.5%. Okay, which is on the very high side. But here's here's why they're able to do that, though. What was the strongest part of the Vikings team in 2017? Well, Case Keenum was the quarterback, so they leaned on the running game. Well, they had a great defense. True. No, you're 100% right. And that's the thing. Guys, and this goes back to Lance's original point, which was the 100% right one. You gotta score points. I don't give it, guys. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna take you back. Okay. Go back to the 2007 NFC champ, NFC divisional playoff game in Dallas against the Cowboys, and I will bring up the game for you just to give you an idea of exactly how that game went. Okay. Because if you remember in that game in the first half, the Giants were literally dominated. On the ground by oh, yeah. the by the Dallas Cowboys rushing attack. And I'll give you the numbers, okay? In that game, that will be playoff week number two. As I bring up the box score here. In the first half of that game, just to give you guys an idea of how it went. Okay? Where's first half? Here we go. The Cowboys ran the ball 20 times for 113 yards in the first half. Marion Barber was 16 for 101, a 6.3-yard average and one touchdown, okay? The time of possession in the first half. Let's see if I have that here. 
17 minutes for the Dallas Cowboys, 12 minutes for the New York Football Giants. Big difference, right? Huge deal, right? You know what the score was at halftime? 14-14. Even if you look at the final stats, which I have in front of me, it's still lopsided with time of possession. Even third down efficiency and rushing yards for the Cowboys, the way it ended. You gotta score points. That's what matters. And in this league, like I said before, you score points by throwing the ball and by making big plays. Now, Saquon makes it easier because you can make big plays on the ground. But eventually, you're going to have to air the ball out a little bit. You just are. Yeah. Well, and I remember in that game, just to stay on topic, just another example of how the final stats don't always necessarily translate to which team wins. I mean, the Cowboys game, if you remember, that Patrick Creighton drop where he had wide open space up ahead. I'm sure Dallas looks back at that game decade after and says, hey, you know, time of possession would have looked a lot nicer if Creighton would have caught that. So you got to avoid yeah. the mistakes, and you got to be able to find the end zone. And what was the difference for the Giants in that first half? An Imani Toomer 52-yard touchdown catch. Correct. You yep. broke a Patrick Henry? Anthony, no, Anthony Henry. Anthony, Anthony Henry. Henry, sorry. Yep. Anthony Henry tackle, and he ran 52 yards for a touchdown. So, guys... That's what the game is now. It just isn't. If you go to those percentages, no one's even at 50%. No, not one team was at 50% in 2017 in terms of run pass splits. Middle of the league's around 30, like 42%, 41.5%. That's just what it is. That's, that's how the league that's is the now. that's the trend right now. And remember, Shermer, yeah, he'll run, he likes to run the ball, obviously, but he, he's going to throw it too. This is not going to be the, you know, the Ravens or the Seahawks last year where it's you know, 52, no. 51%. Because remember, those teams have good defenses too. You know, if you you know if you try to establish you know establish the run, and you have to punt two or three times, you might be down seventeen nothing, and then you're screwed. You can't, can't, it's hard to operate that way. You know what's another example to look at? Once again, this is only one game. If memory serves me correct, John, which the game? Game that Shermer took over for Chip Kelly was that the end of the fifteen season? Oh boy, that's a he good was the question. interim coach. I want to say it was two thousand fifteen because sixteen, I believe, he joined the Vikings. Seventeen, he was the full time OC because in sixteen, he was the tight ends coach behind North Sounds Turner. Like it I think it was the right. last game of two thousand fifteen, and I'll try to find it too. The reason, against the Giants, against the Giants. Yep, thirty five thirty. Okay. The Eagles won that game. Now, mm -hmm. if you remember the narrative for the Eagles that whole season was they were horrible in time of possession, right? Because they ran so quickly and they were not running the ball with Demarco Murray, right? Right. Mm -hmm. But what happened in that game? They ran the ball with Demarco Murray. I'm just having flashbacks. Maybe 12, the numbers for, don't... 12 for 69, but he did have a 54-yard run in that game. Yeah, and I remember they came out very strong with the rushing attack. So the point I'm bringing up is... By the way, Sam Bradford did go 30 of 38 for 320 in that game, well, too. Not a bad day at the office no, for Sam Bradford. not at all. Yeah, I remember the <laughs> Eagles' offense had their coming-out party, except it was a little too late. And, and that was, it was the last week of the season. Rashad Jennings, 27 for 170 in that game. I had forgotten about that. Yeah. But the, the reason I brought that game up was to emphasize your point about Shermer's philosophy and how, you know, he's aware of what it takes to win, what it takes to protect other facets of the team. And, and that was a game where it was like, where was this from Philadelphia the whole season? They were abandoning DeMarco Murray the entire year, and then the last game of the season, they finally showcase him. So uh, that's uh, just one philosophical game that jumps out to me. Final call of the show is Charlie in Portland, Maine. Hey, Charlie, how are you? Ah, no intro today. You know you're in the doghouse. 
doghouse. You know you're in the doghouse when you don't get any intro from John. We're 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 getting closer to two o'clock. We're getting we're getting closer to two. Oh, please don't make excuses. And I and I have tweets I need to get in, so we're trying to speed things up. I didn't think you were gonna go this out of your way to protect him, but go ahead, Charlie. It sounds like you're protecting. Charlie's a pain in my butt. Well, that's more like it. That's more like it. Go ahead. That's what I wanted. What do you got? All right, guys. Hey, well, you know, you're talking about, you know, when people call in, they say time of possession, we should run the ball more. They're not saying just do that and not score. They're saying let's score and do that. I mean, they're not, our judgment is not dumb. They're no, not but like just Charlie, the point, the time of possession. Yeah, but Charlie, the point isn't the time of possession. The point is the score. All right. Let me give you two games. Notice he didn't even right. counter what that. What is because... the, the Patriots Super Bowl against Atlanta? Guess what? If Atlanta had just ran that stupid ball, who wouldn't have been Super Bowl champs? Let me give you No, no, Charlie, Charlie. No, Charlie. No, Charlie, you're right All about that. All you have to do is run the ball. With with you know who? No, but Mr. Charlie, Lynch, Charlie, and that's won the game. that's okay, that so that's situational yeah. football. The whole point of the run game is that once you get the lead, you go for the run game. How did the Falcons get that big lead against the Patriots? By the way, was it through was it through throwing the ball through the air and making big plays? Oh, I think it was. Yeah, and then they should have ran the ball. No, but of course, but you score points first. Yeah, they, that's the point, Charlie. They that's, a size that's of right, and that's what I'm saying. That's what people are saying. They're not saying just run the ball 90% of the game. They're saying when it counts, when we've got the lead and we need to, you know, stop the team and not let them have the ball back, they're saying let's run the damn ball and let's do it efficiently so we keep them off the field or we you know we take care of the clock and we run it out. I mean that that's what they're talking about. They're not talking about just just possession like that's the big score at the end of the game. Well we had it thirty five minutes and they had it twenty five. That's not you know, that's not what people would say. Well but that's a big detail that's left out. Number one, and I'm not saying that we are overlooking that. Maybe a number of people who weigh in on that are thinking from that lens. But you have to emphasize it's time of possession combined with scoring touchdowns. But then touchdown. say that. You, you have to, to make that clear. You, you can't just throw out you want them to run the football so you rest your defense. I can give you plenty of examples of teams that run the ball to rest their defense and then they end up with field goals and it doesn't do anything for them. Charlie, yeah, so I, I you, you have okay. to emphasize that. Then. Yeah, correct. You have to emphasize it. Okay, our first game is out, right? Yeah, real quick, and Charlie. Finish if up. We don't, if we don't have Golden Tate, he's going to be out four games, save two games if he's lucky. And say, even if, if you know, if Shepard plays, you know, he, how, you know, he, is he going to be still a little bit injured? Nah, he, no, no, no. Shepard Shep, should be fine for week one. All right. Yeah, but when is he going to start practicing? Like, fourth playoff game? No, a couple weeks. going to be the third playoff game? couple weeks. Or the second? Or or preseason. This guy's skipping ahead to the playoffs. I didn't know they play playoff games before I mean, the regular pre-season. season. That's what I meant. Okay. Well, All right. See, this pre-season. is why we clarify what we say on this program, Charlie. Big <laughs> thumbs up to you on that one. I don't but go need ahead. To. Yes. Well, okay. So yeah. You're, you're like the proofreader. Oh, okay? well, that's good. Proof. I take that role with a tremendous amount of pride. Charlie, Charlie, way. we gotta go. Finish yeah, up. No, so let, let's hear this synopsis here. Okay. So so Sterling Shepard. What 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 do you want us to update you? What on? I'm saying yeah. is. We need to get ourselves a wide receiver that somebody's going to be scared of, and we'll plan for. If we don't, then they're going to smother Barkley. And in that first game, you got Ingram going up against your linebackers that you want to put him on. Charlie, 
Charlie, he's, he's not Charlie, paying his yeah. phone bill, by yeah, the way. Yeah, his, I mean, but, yeah, Matt, let him go. Sorry, he's, Charlie. Yeah, your phone was cutting out. We had, oh we had trouble hearing you. Sorry about that. Call us back. happens when you focus and look, on offensive yes. linemen who are not in the league anymore. If you don't have Golden Tate against Dallas, you have to figure things out. It's time for tweets. Let's Giants chat. Chris Whalen, assuming Eli starts the year, will be real quick on this. And what events have to happen in season for Jones to get starts? And we've talked about this a million times, Lance. A, Eli keeps Daniel Jones off the field by doing two things, winning games and playing well. If one of those two things aren't in the equation... That's when the Daniel Jones possibility becomes clear. Very yeah. simple. And then I thought Ben Gruen, we talked about the 18-game schedule the other day. He makes a good point. If, if you play 18 games and everyone's playing 18 games, all your single-season records, you can just throw them away, which kind of stinks. You're talking about the single-season records from the archives? From yeah, I mean, like, you know, most rushing yards in a season, oh, yeah. most passing well, yards in a season. Because now players are going to have two additional games right. worth of stats, mm-hmm. yeah. You're going to have the 18-game have the right. records versus the 16-game records. Though, in fairness, if you do look at the evolution in the history of the NFL, they went from 12 to 14 to 16. So, I mean, it progressively it does. has That's been through true. this before. This is not necessarily anything new. And finally, Anson Wind, have you guys seen anything special so far from Austin Drugsma? He is the shot putter who did not play at all in college in terms of football. He hasn't played since high school. The Giants did sign him to a three-year rookie deal. Uh, to me, he is a classic, you know, keep and develop guy the same way they did with Brett Jones when they signed him over from Canada. They kept him in the practice squad a year, developed him into something. They love his athleticism. That's something that's going to be a process. Yeah, I mean, once again, when you have these players that don't have a wealth of experience, I think, you know, part of it is like anything else to build up these players and get them to the point where they're comfortable with the layout of the land in the NFL. And then maybe a year from now, you know, then you can have them spread their wings. I think Brett Jones is a great comparison. People forget year one, he did not all of a sudden come out of a shell. He didn't even play. Exactly. So, Mm -hmm. but that year that he was on the sideline and still at least part of the organization, John, proved yeah. to be valuable. Absolutely. Hope the same thing for Drugsma this year if he does, in fact, wind up on the practice squad. For Lance Menno, I'm John Schmelk. Thanks for joining us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Uh, tonight, tune in to the NFL 100. Um, we have intel that there might be a giant on the list. They're doing players 11 through 20. I oh think boy. you can take a guess who might be on there. Uh, and also, make sure you check out the Giants Huddle podcast. We mentioned that earlier in the show. Had a chance to talk to Hall of Famer Kurt Warner. So make sure you check that out on all your favorite podcast platforms. And by the way, if you guys like this show and you want it in podcast form, go to the New York Giants audio feed on your podcast platforms, and you can find Big Blue Kickoff Live there. And, of course, MSG tonight at 630. We will have Giants training camp report as well. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you tomorrow, 1 o'clock. Have a good one. Big Blue Kickoff Live. Adios.